Opinions expressed in this episode are personal. They do not necessarily reflect the views of this streaming platform. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Let's Be Diverse. I am your host, Andrew Stout. This episode is dedicated to all my loved ones who have supported me through this journey. We all know that everyone has different ways of reacting to stressful situations. Some people just flat out try to avoid stressful situations by drowning themselves in constant work. Others just simply struggle to concentrate and maintain their usual productivity and concentration levels. Not only are leaders finding themselves living through chaos themselves, but they're also tasked with effectively leading their stress-out teams. Leading teams through the chaos is certainly a challenge for all managers. So I thought this would be a great topic for us to get into tonight. My guest today is someone who finds a way to push everyone who needs to achieve their full potential. Her name is Dr. Andrea Mata. Now, Dr. Andrea Mata, the daughter of a Mexican immigrant, grew up in a gang-infested neighborhood in the south side of Chicago. At 11 years old, her life dramatically changed and it fueled a desire to become a clinical child psychologist. In 2021, she left a tenured position at the University of Finley to live out her life's mission of fortifying families by starting Bright Spot Families, where she teaches coping relationships and parenting skills. She is resilient, honest, passionate, engaging, and sincere. Her superpower is to build relationships and she understands the importance of community. Welcome to the show, Andrea. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It is an absolute pleasure. I know we've spoken a few times on the phone and online, sending text messages. So it's amazing that we're able to get things going with you today. How are things? Things are great with me. I just got excited because I'm currently trying to combat my perfectionism. And I sent two thirds of my parenting book that I'm writing to my editor yesterday. The goal was to get the whole second draft of it to her by today, but I realized that wasn't going to happen. So I sent her the two thirds that I had and I was like, all right, and then I'll finish up the rest as she's editing that piece and we'll move from there. Baby steps. Wonderful. I'm glad to hear that things are going okay with you. Right now we're having a thunderstorm here, Andra, so hopefully uh, we don't get flooded out here, but it looks like it's coming on pretty good here. Oh man, we are in like 90 degree, like the last four days have been gorgeous, sunny, and like 90 degrees outside. <laughs> lucky, lucky you. Well, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Before we begin, I always have a fun question to ask my guests to get things going. Are you ready for yours? Most definitely. Most definitely? Okay. So my question, Andrea, is would you rather it be Christmas every day or your birthday every day? Mm, I think I would much rather it be Christmas every day. Because I am so family oriented and the joy that I would see 
from my kids' faces, for getting presents all of the time, and just being around each other. And Christmas in my family usually means homemade tamales, which are absolutely delicious. I could eat tamales every single day of my life and be completely content. I may weigh 500 pounds, but I would still be happy. And my family has this tradition of not only like making the tamales together, it's a very fun time. There has been a running joke in the family because my dad has a very specific way that he wants the masa spread. And for some reason, my family, who is all full of quite intelligent folks can't figure out how to like spread the masa appropriately. And so my dad has said repeatedly, like, just spread it like Andrea. And so now there is a running joke where everyone it's like, how many times will someone joke when we are making tamales? Oh, just spread it like Andrea. And like my sister-in-law, Tara has actually had an apron made for my dad that says like tamale inspector and then on the on part of it or somewhere on it it says just spread it like andrea and so it's a it's a running joke that we all kind of poke fun at each other and i just give it right back because i'm like i don't understand like you find the smooth side and then you spread it so that it's smooth and not like janky and then the tamales come out so much better That is such an awesome story, Andrea. And it's funny, when I thought of this question today, I always look forward to the answers that my guests are going to give. But when I wrote it down, I kind of, knowing you and knowing how family-orientated you are, I Mm -hmm. had a funny feeling that you were going to say Christmas. But I thought, I'm going to ask it. Maybe she's going to shock me and she's going to (laughs) say my birthday. So... But so, yeah, but I I had a feeling that you were going to say Christmas and what a great reason why you would choose that. So, and I think the other thing is, it's like once you become a parent, like birthdays just don't have the same luster as they used to. Or maybe it's just my family because it's like I feel like I'm like my love language is gifts And I don't feel like I get very good gifts anymore (laughs) because I'm older. If I'm lucky, like I get to go out to dinner where I want to go with my three kids. I don't get to open my own presents, which is (laughs) because they're, you know, quote unquote, helping me. Like I remember it was a it was a Christmas back in 2018 and my poor husband that I'm telling this story on your podcast was that we unfortunately had to bury his we were burying his grandfather on my birthday. And so him and I, when we had our twins and our twins were, you know, uh, almost two years old at that point, and I was pregnant and I got dressed And then, and my husband didn't say anything. And then we got, we had to drive an hour and 15 minutes to where the, the funeral was. And then when they were like, his family members were whispering like, Andrea, happy birthday. And then he looked at me like deer in the headlights. And he was like, oh man, like. It's now 11 o'clock and I have not told my wife happy birthday. And so then he just felt 
terrible. So then, because he didn't like no like no gifts, no cake, no balloons, like nothing. Didn't even say happy birthday. And so then we, I remember when we finally got home from the services and such. He was like, okay, what like what do you want to eat? And I was like can I just have like Buffalo Wild Wings pee? <laughs> like I'm pregnant. So I have limited stuff that I can eat. And so can I, can I please just have some Buffalo Wild Wings? So that, so I think birthdays, they used to be awesome, but I think as you get older, they lose their, their luster. However, this year when I turn 40, my husband and I are going to go to Siesta Keys, just the two of us. So I will be in Siesta Keys with a fruity drink on a beach, enjoying my best life. Oh, that sounds that sounds like a pretty good uh, way to spend some time. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yes, um, very so, much so. I agree. Yeah. So what I'd like to do is start off uh, today's episode with you telling us a little bit about you and your story, Andrea. Yeah. So I am what I call a Whitesican. So I am half white, half Mexican. My father was born and raised in central Mexico, and he immigrated here when he was 22. And uh, by fate, my parents met in the same neighborhood that I grew up in, in the south side of Chicago. The interesting piece with that is that that neighborhood was gang infested. So I remember watching many of my peers turn to drugs and gangs before we even hit high school. And I remember my senior year, a guy that I did judo with shot and killed a 20-year-old man a block from my house, all because that man was wearing a baby blue shirt. So I remember just wondering, like, what made my brothers who are one's a doctor, one's a physician assistant, and then I'm a clinical psychologist, what made us different? And I got my answer and I got my answer in a courtroom. And so my brother, my I had three older brothers and my old, my youngest of my three brothers, Cisco was murdered by a man that he considered a friend when I was 11. He was 18. And so we went through court proceedings for about two years. And I remember on when we were on sentencing, cause he was found guilty of first degree murder and armed robbery. I remember being in the courtroom and that was the first time that I had ever been in a courtroom because my parents had protected me for the last two years from all the court proceedings and such. And I remember I got up and I went into the witness stand and I read, tried to convey in words as a 13 year old, like how this event impacted my life, how this man's decisions to steal my best friend altered my life. And then the court recessed. And then he came back and I remember the judge paused and he like scanned the room and then he paused on my parents and me and he took like this deep, deep breath. And then all of a sudden he looks at us and says, cause they were going for the death penalty and whether you agree with the death penalty or not, that's not what I'm getting into today, but they were going for the death penalty because it met all of the criteria and the judge pauses and says, I'm not sentencing this man to death not because of moral or professional objections against the death penalty, but because this man had a rough life. And so I remember just sitting there flabbergasted that because this person, this murderer, was raised 
in an environment that included, you know, people abusing drugs and alcohol and people suffering from mental illness. And, you know, he experienced psychological and physical abuse and other, other people in his environment have engaged in criminal behavior, you know, quote unquote, a rough life, according to the judge, that this man's heinous acts were kind of not forgiven, but he had, he received a much lesser sentence. And I remember having my never again moment then of like, never again will another child lose their best friend because someone had a rough life. And so I made it my life's mission to become a clinical child psychologist who specializes in the treatment of antisocial and aggressive behavior in hopes that like all of my clients, if I can intervene when they are young and I can help them regardless of what kind of environment they are being raised in, not think that that act of taking someone else's life is okay, then like I have fulfilled my life's mission. So that's why I talk about fortifying families by teaching individual coping skills, relationship and parenting skills. Well, it's such an amazing story. Some of the stuff that you went through at such a young age is astronomical. I could not even imagine how anybody could go through that. So to you to for us to listen to this and for you to be here to explain that story is simply amazing. And it's, I'm astonished at how clear and convoyant that you were able to tell it. So thank you for, for sharing that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well. So we're talking about chaos tonight, Andrea. What does chaos mean to you? I think chaos, especially in, in like a work situation, is when there are not clear expectations communicated. And everyone is just kind of out for themselves and no one has a goal. There's not like one concrete goal in mind and everyone is running around with their head, like a chicken with their head cut off. Right. And like, no one really knows, no one has direction and no one is taking charge. There's too many cooks in the kitchen and nothing is really getting accomplished because there's not one clear, concise goal and there's not clearly communicated expectations. That's what I think of like chaos is like, there's just, it's loud, it's noisy. Everyone is going in different directions and there's not just one overarching goal. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you 100% on that. I've been in situations at work uh, or in work environments where there is chaos and some of the feelings that I've seen or felt was that people were, there was a lot of anger, there was a lot of anxiety, there was a lot of frustration, and there was a lot of doubt. And I like when you said communication before, it's probably because stuff was not communicated in a proper manner. So everybody's feeling all these feelings at the same time, mm -hmm. which yes. is, uh, can be difficult for sure. Yes. Very, very difficult because, and it like, yeah, because a lot of the time when, when people experience anxiety, it's because 
they don't know what's expected of them. And so then they're just trying to, you know, they're trying to do all these different things to make their, you know, their bosses or their leaders happy. But then that just creates so much trepidation and anxiety. I remember when I was a professor, so I was a professor, as you mentioned, for nine years. And one of the things that I always tried to do was I tried to set my syllabus up in a way that clearly communicated what I expected from my students and for assignments and when tests were going to be and what chapters we were going to cover, when we were going to cover, and everything was outlined. And one thing that I changed over the years of being a professor was that on all of my assignment sheets, I actually wrote like a purpose statement. Like, this is the reason why you're doing this assignment. And this is the benefit that you're going to experience by doing this assignment. But I remember some of my, like my students would come to me and they would just complain and be so anxious because other professors didn't lay out like a schedule for them. I remember um, in my second year, there was a, on one Friday, I remember it still super vividly. There was one Friday where I had three of my psychology majors in my office crying all because my colleague that came that year it was his first year teaching. He was not communicating his expectations well. And so all the students were all up in arms because they're high achieving students and they want like they're overachieving and they want to do well, but they don't know what's expected and he keeps changing it up. And so literally there, there's three of them crying in my office. And I remember there was like a faculty party that night. And when I saw him, I was like, you owe me so much wine right now because I have spent multiple hours today listening to our psych majors cry because you have not communicated your expectations clearly. And so he, he just kind of like shrugged his shoulders and put up his hands. And I was like, jerk. But then him and I like talked and I was like, okay, this is what I want you to do. And he, I told him to do like uh, informal evaluations, like surveys. And so the students gave him really, really good feedback. And so he, then he was able to change his teaching style to kind of, to fit what the students needed so that they weren't experiencing so much chaos. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is such a great example of how chaos can affect a situation for sure. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you think leaders create chaos? So if I think chaos is not clearly communicated expectations, I think leaders create chaos by not, you know, telling their people who they are leading what their expectations are, or they change it up. I remember that was always one of the frustrating things. And I thought it was just my grad school mentor, but it turned out that this might just be like a thing across multiple like psychology, you know, research faculty is that I remember I would write a paper, I would send it to my mentor. He would give me feedback. I'd, you know, incorporate his feedback and then I'd send it to him again. And then he would like, look at me and be like, you should really include this in the paper. And I'm like, 
and, and I never told him this, but I was like, I did like, you told me to take it out on the previous draft. And so it's like me always trying to figure out. And so I think when leaders change their minds and aren't aware that they're changing their minds and, and they, they lack that self-awareness that they're changing their minds and they're not communicating clear expectations. I think that's when leaders definitely create chaos. You know, I totally agree with you. Communication is key. I think it's okay for leaders to change their minds about something, but I think it's got to be clearly communicated. Like we live in a world where we're in a fix-it mode, but sometimes we do it too quickly. So they're changing their minds, but not saying anything. And then they're doing it too quickly. I think it affects things. And so for me, I think leaders, they just need to slow down. And when there's communication, we have clarity, it'll trump fear anytime. Right. Cause like, I think when, when you said that it makes me think of, I don't know if you've ever played this game. So like, have you ever played the game where like, there's two people and one person has their hands out in front of them and their palms up. And then the other person lays their hands palm down on top of the person's palms, right? Like person A's palms. And what, what person B is supposed to do is when they feel person A like flipping their hands and about to slap their hands, person B is supposed to move their hands out of the way before person A can slap them. I don't know if you've ever played that game. I sure did. I sure did. Yeah, I wasn't very good at it, but I've sure played it. But with that game, the person B is actually at the disadvantage. And in the scenario, person A is the leader. And the reason why person B is at the disadvantage is because they don't know when person A is going to flip. And so, but person A knows that information. And so they're able to do it quickly and fluidly. But then the frustration comes in when person A keeps getting their hand slapped or person B keeps getting their hand slapped because I mean, the whole point of the game is for person A not to communicate when they're going to slap the person's hands. And so I think the same thing is going on in our work situations when we have chaotic situations is that the leader is changing what they expect or the route that they're going or the path that they're going. But because they're doing it in a quick way, they just assume that everybody knows what they want. And no one knows because people can't read minds. And so the followers are at a significant disadvantage because they can't read their leader's minds. And so they need their leader to over communicate what it is that they are expecting from their followers. Mm -hmm. What an amazing explanation. I I, I love that. Totally resonated with me. And I totally agree with 100%. What should be the role of a leader during chaos? I think the role for leaders during chaos is pulling everyone together in a meeting and not just a meeting for the sake of having a meeting, but a meeting where you are sitting down and working with your team and laying out clear expectations for them. 
where you are communicating those expectations, you're using behavioral terms whenever you can. So a lot of the time when I'm working with clients, they'll say, oh, my five-year-old had a temper tantrum. And I'll look at them and I'll be like, what does that look like? Because I want them to describe it in behavioral terms because that's the only way that I know that we are on the same page. Because I have a vision or an image of what a temper tantrum is. And that is going to be significantly different than what other people believe is a temper tantrum. So I would encourage leaders to really ask those questions and list things out in behavioral terms that they're expecting from their people that are following them. So clearly communicating expectations and meeting with them and getting everyone on board, allowing them to know what their purpose is and what they can be doing to really get on the same page and achieve this one goal that they as a team are trying to achieve and getting people excited about it and getting people on board and telling them like, why should they buy in and why should they continue to follow you? Mm -hmm. I think if a leader also, if they show any type of distress then it only will increase the distress levels of themselves and also others. So I think that when we're in crisis mode, we need to stay steady and resolute. And I believe that when it comes to leading during times of chaos, sometimes uh, we have to learn that when you lean into a storm, uh, you need to take one step at a time. So in other words, not everything is going to happen right away. You take one step at a time in order to get to where we need to get to. But if we're in chaos and we just go crazy, and it's not going to work. That's for sure. Right. I think the big thing is it's like you want to engage in problem solving as best as you possibly can, because if you're in chaos, it's like, okay, like why is what we're doing not working? Why are we in a chaotic state? And like sit back, exit out of what I call emotional mind and enter into logical mind and try to figure out, okay, what is going on and how can we and strategize and come up and get creative, throw out, you know, brainstorm lots of ideas of how, what solutions that can possibly fix the problem that you're in and then work through it as a team and decide as a team, okay, what's the best path forward? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Totally, totally get that for sure. So Andrea, what fundamental leadership skills does someone need to learn to help others prepare for when chaos arises? I think the biggest skill that I am looking for in leaders is relational skills. Like, can they be good with people? And now I know that I am extremely biased when it comes to this, because I know that I'm good with people. It's one of my Yes, building relationships and maintaining relationships is my superpower. So it's, I I have a natural ability to do it. And I remember when I was on my clinical internship at Boys Town in Omaha, Nebraska, on the very first day, there's six interns in the room. And Dr. Pat, Pat Fryman, who was like the head honcho, right? He like sits us down and he's like, there is only one reason why the six of you are in this room today. It's because you're good with people. And so like, that's where I always start. It's 
I want leaders to, to put the relationships first, because if you put the relationships first and you really care about your people, the rest, the outcomes, the successes, the data, the money, it will all follow. But if relationships are in turmoil and they're not very good, then you're going to lose your people and then you're going to end up having to start all over again. I remember I did a talk recently for the Michigan Society of Hematology and Oncology, and it was the healing power of relational leadership. And one of the other women that were there talked about how she had just spent a few days at this clinic where their turnover rate is super, super low. And the reason why this clinic that has 30 employees is super low is because, wait for this, Andrew, you ready? Each person gets $10,000. Each employee gets $10,000 for education of their choosing. Each person gets a cell phone, an iPhone that's paid for by the company. And then every single employee gets a Volvo SUV that's leased for them by the company. Oh, wow. Because the owner of this company does not want turnover. And so he Mm -hmm. saves so much money by investing in his people and building these relationships and, you know, focusing in on their, you know, their development, because now if they're not having to pay for cell phones, if they're not having to pay for a car, they're able to save, you know, significantly more money. And then no one's leaving. And he's still, you know, he's still needing more people because his business is booming, because he doesn't have to spend all the money recruiting people mm-hmm. because I wouldn't I want to leave. If someone's going to pay me $10,000, give me an iPhone and pay for that and lease a car. I don't know about leasing. I'm against leasing, but that's here nor there. I totally agree with you on that one. I, I love when you said building relationships and having relationship skills. I know that's all part of in the business of building rapport and you're building rapport with not only your customers, but you're building rapport with your employees. So I think you just need to have a little bit of patience and understanding, have a little bit more empathy. And I think if they Mm -hmm. had that, then I think that it will help them when it comes to working or dealing with chaos in their organization. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I think so. Because I always tell people like when when other people are struggling, because life is messy. And it's not like people have really good, not everyone has really good compartmentalization skills where they can leave home at home and work at work. There's always a lot of spillover because a lot of people lack the ability to compartmentalize. And so I would much rather work for someone who is going to lead with empathy when life spills over into my work. Absolutely. And you mentioned lay a home, work, work home. I mean, we have chaos happens within our lives. We spend more time at work than we do with our families. So you're going to have chaos everywhere. And I think 
we can find ourselves bringing the chaos of our day home. And I feel like we could be bringing the chaos from home to work. So I agree with you 100%. I think it's hard to sometimes to, to switch off and separate the two. Uh, so Andre, if, if you could use one word to describe yourself, what word would that be? Well, I wrote down resilient, but then you already called me resilient. So I feel like it's a cop out to also use resilient. So I will go with my, my favorite word ever, which is audacious. So trying to be fearless and trying to improve, you know, my life and the life of my family and the life of other fam like other families and doing that in a way that is as close to fearless as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, you just said it. I would say fearless as well for you. I, I think the story that you said earlier in the episode and what you, I'm sure, hear and go through on a daily basis. And I think your strength to go through all of that and continue to tell your story and to continue to be strong through everything is, I don't know about our listeners, but it's amazing to me, Andrew. Thank you very much, Andrew. You're very, very welcome. Any final thoughts tonight, Andrew? I don't think so. I think I, I think this has been a great episode, and hopefully, people get something out of it. And obviously, like we've talked about it the whole episode, that I'm highly relational. So, if anyone wants to connect, please, by all means, connect. Absolutely. All your information is in the show notes. So anybody that wants to get a hold of you will be able to for sure. And I definitely, as a contact of Andres, I definitely recommend you getting in touch with her. She is from our conversations. She is open, very engaging. And no matter what she is doing, always find that she has or makes sure that she makes the time for you for whatever reason, uh, even if she's got five different things going on, uh, which has been the situation with some of her conversations. She's yeah. had five different things going on at the same time. But for myself, with my interactions, she always has made time for me and it's a great segue to our conversation today on chaos because she's always made time for me amongst all of her chaos and the things that are going on in her world she always seemed to make time for me for sure oh always well on behalf of myself and my guest andrea i would like to thank you all for taking the time to listen today and until next time be safe and remember if we all work together we can accomplish you have been listening to let's be diverse with andrew stout to stay up to date with future content hit subscribe 